Ahoy. Huzzah. Are we awake? It's cold. Are you bundled up? No. All the pressure change. We can't handle it. Do we need to do some jumping jacks? You laugh because you know I'll make you, right? Right? Okay. So, man, no one, uh, I wonder if other churches are starting with jumping jacks. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Uh, if you could open your Bibles to John 7. We're continuing to work through the book of John. We've got these little John books uh, you can look through. Uh, I want to remind you, uh, Jesus in John uh, keeps going to different festivals, and a lot of scholars pattern John based off of the festivals Jesus is at. Um, and uh, Jimmy did a great job a couple weeks ago unpacking for us the feast of what? Where are we at right now? Booths, yeah, good job. Tabernacles, right? That's where we're at. And then Adam mentioned that last week and talking about Exodus 17 and, and Moses seeing the rock and the priest during this festival coming and pouring the rock and all those things. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Uh, we don't have quite time or focus this morning to uh, unpack all of that because they did it for two weeks, right? But uh, in case you don't know this, uh, we post everything every week on uh, online. So it's on uh, Podbean, it's on Apple Podcast. Uh, if you've got an app on your phone, you you can find it, or it's just on YouTube. Uh, the whole service is on Facebook, but then the sermons we put on YouTube because we've had uh, people ask for those, so we put those up there. And so if you're wondering about kind of what's going on with this, go back and listen. Jimmy and Adam did a great job covering that. This morning we want to first talk about uh, kind of the division we see here before we read. Open to John 7, grab a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, there should be one like this in the seats in front of you. Um, get a physical Bible in front of you or, or some electronic version, um, uh, iPhone, iPad, or some sad uh, replicate. Uh, just kidding. Uh, Android people. Uh, have you guys heard of the liar, lunatic, lord trilemma? Raise your hand if you've heard of this. Liar, lunatic, lord. No one. This happened to me. I, so I walked into the office, Carrie and Sarah, and, and I think Laura was sitting there, and I was so excited. I was like, guys, have you heard of this? Like, I found out its origin. Liar, Lord, and they're like, and I felt so, like, I got really excited. It turns out what happens sometimes is when you go through Bible school, you're constantly on Facebook pages full of pastors and youth ministers and, and theologians. We talk about things colloquially, um, colloquially, however you say that word. We talk about things and we assume everyone knows about them, right? This is why we don't use words up here like Christological predication, because no one cares. No one knows what that means. We actually don't even very often use words like justified, sanctified, glorified. We tend to try to define everything. In fact, we didn't even let baptism or Lord's Supper go by. We define it every time because some of these words get lost. But I just assumed that everyone had heard of the liar, lunatic, Lord trilemma. Here, uh, let me unpack this for you very quickly. Um, in 1850, so a lot of people attribute C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis said this great thing, and so it must be holy and righteous and all that. No, no, no. So he did, and that's great. But actually, it comes from a Scottish Christian preacher uh, named John Duncan in 1859. Here's this quote. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting around this trilemma. It's inevitable. He's arguing that Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Um, uh, several years later in 1936, so John Duggan said this in 1859, 1936, Watchman Nee said a very similar thing, and then we get to mere Christianity in 1952. And C.S. Lewis is arguing against this idea that Jesus was just a good man, just a good teacher, 
he's, he's a nice guy, walked around doing the peace love thing, you know, he's a good, good teacher. And C.S. Lewis says, no, that's, that's dumb. You can't, you can't actually read Jesus that way. Here's part of C.S. Lewis's quote. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. The point is, is that Jesus is divisive. And, and you can't study the Bible. In fact, you can't just read the Bible. You can't talk about Jesus without it being divisive. I think about the He Gets Us campaign that, that came out. I, saw the, I think I saw them shortly before the Super Bowl, but there was the He Gets Us campaign on the Super Bowl. Are you familiar with these campaigns? There's a Super Bowl ad, He Gets Us, and it was, about, it was about Jesus. And then after that, there was lash on both the right, the left, the middle. Everyone's arguing about this. And, oh, well, these people support this, these people support this, and they can't really be following Jesus. And everyone's arguing about this. And the point of the ad was, simply, hey, maybe we should look to Jesus in, in some fashion. Maybe Jesus is, is interesting to look at. And C.S. Lewis would argue, I would argue, Jesus is divisive. He can't not be. And for a man who, who teaches unity and teaches that everyone come together, he's actually teaching everyone come together under him, under his authority. And that's divisive. That's tense. Liar, lunatic, Lord. Jesus unifies and divides. He's not just a good teacher, an interesting historical guy. He brings eternal unity or eternal separation. John wants us to see this tension. So we're going to read together in John 17. As you, or sorry, John 7. As we read this, pay attention to the, the, uh, the tensions that are here, the things that are, that are uh, divisive, that are breaking. Pay attention to what's happening here. On the last day of the feast, the great day, John 7, verse 37, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about his spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Verse 44, some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him in? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. God, we ask right now that you would guide us in your spirit, by your power, through your love and grace, that we would have ears to hear, that we would make sense of the words that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. God, may we look to Jesus and live. May you fill us with your spirit. May we become aware of your presence in our lives. Protect us from, from the evil, from, from the, the things that would divide, that would, that would pull us away. God, if we pray the words of Jesus, that you would deliver us from evil in this moment. 
that we would hear from you. We trust you. Amen. So people hear what Jesus says, and there's immediately a division. Some say, well, he's the prophet. They're pulling from Deuteronomy 18 that Moses said a prophet would rise up, uh, but they're kind, of, they're kind of minimizing what he said. They're trying to recategorize. Okay, he says that he's the son of God. He says that he's God. He says, but well, he must just be the prophet, right? They're reducing him. They're kind of putting it in their own category, and there's a lesson for all of us in that. How often do we not like the things Jesus says? Do we want to categorize Jesus, or even the world around us, even people around us? We want to minimize. We want to categorize because we don't want to see the the full story because we actually understand. We're the ones who are smart. We figured it out. And so these people, they say, oh no, he's just the prophet. Others say he's the Christ, the Messiah. But then there's others who debate and say, wait, can the, can the Christ come from, from anywhere but Bethlehem? This guy's from Galilee. And again, they're, they're reducing Jesus. They're ignorant. They don't know the full story. It reminds me of people who so quickly say, well, well, uh, God, can't, can't, God can't send people to hell because he loves people. Or how can Jesus tell us uh, anything about, about gender or about love or about marriage? How can Jesus have anything to say about that? Because he's supposed to love us. Like, hold on. You're showing your ignorance because you're trying to categorize and make Jesus who you want. You've got to read the words that he actually says. You've got to actually know what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said, this is how you love me is how you obey me. In fact, the last thing Jesus said is teach them to obey, observe all that I've commanded you, all that I've commanded you. Do you know what Jesus has commanded us? Or are we minimizing and reducing these things? Verse 43 says, so there was division among the people over him. What other option is there? If Jesus is true, if what he says is true, it must be divisive because truth brings that out. People don't want to believe truth. People don't want to take those things in. Of course it's going to cause tension. You have the Pharisees who are belittling. You have Nicodemus who feels like he's kind of in between. Uh, you have the, the, um, the officers, the temple officers who, by the way, the temple officers would have been from Le- Levi. They would have studied these things. They would have had a clear understanding of the law. And the Pharisees are saying, well, you don't understand the law. You're a curse like those people. There's a, a Greek word there that's connected to a Hebrew idea that, that we can unpack that we don't have time for them to say it anyway, but they, the, what they were doing is they're saying, hey, these are common folk. Those people are common folk. They're people of the land, is what the word means. It's the Pharisees saying, oh, you're just like the commoners who don't know the law. They're not as religious as us. They're common folk. Blah. And so these temple uh, guards, these, these uh, um, temple officers, they're being told, oh, you're nothing. You're, you're, being, you're being deceived. You're common folk. You're idiots. There's a lot of this kind of uh, classism, racism thing going on all of a sudden. And then Nicodemus, it says, and John goes, I always say, Nicodemus, who was one of them? He's one of them. He says, ah, maybe you don't know the law. Doesn't our law say that we should give him a hearing? Several people in this are divided. There is division among the people over Jesus. They're blinded by ignorance, by hatred, by anger, by pride. And before we move on, I feel like someone needs to hear that. How often is our perception of the world lead us to this anger, this bitterness, this hatred that we try to hide? And all of a sudden, we completely miss that maybe we have a completely foul perception of the world. We have a completely misunderstanding of the reality of our marriage, of our relationships, of our singleness, of our parenting. We completely miss it because we're blinded by our ignorance, our anger. They go as far to say, hey, go and search. No prophet could come from Galilee. Did you know that prophets in the Old Testament came from Galilee? So are they stupid? 
No, they knew the law. They studied Scripture. They were just blinded by their ignorance. They were fighting and arguing. Jesus brings division. It's a big hang-up for the Jewish leaders. See, what's happening is Jesus is calling out what's wrong with what they believe. He's calling out their religiosity, this thing they cling tight to. It's really cool and sexy to say things like, oh, I have a relationship, I'm not religious. And we want to be careful with the word religious because we make it pejorative all the time. Like all of a sudden it's like a negative word. You say religious or religion like, oh, gross. I'm not merely religious. I'm above that. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm, I have a relationship. Oh, hold on. Before we, we don't just immediately want to degrade the word religion or religious, and so don't hear me say that. But what's happening there in this context, we can understand their religious values, their, their rule, their orthodoxy, their things that they understood were right, were being combated towards Jesus. Because as the temple guard said, no one speaks like this man. And so this puts the Pharisees in fight-or-flight mode. And if you know anything about people in fight-or-flight mode, right, if someone's ready to fight you, is it a good time to reason with them? If there's a kid who's angry that says, Shut up! Leave me alone! Is that a good time to reason with them? Hey, hey, buddy, why are you hitting your sister? That's a terrible time to reason with them. Have you considered the quadratic formula? That's a terrible time. Their brain can't even get there neurologically, right? And so what's happening is they're in fight or flight, and we get there too. So often in our own mind, we're like, man, Jesus makes me, he said these things, and oh man, I don't know what to do with that, or in general, the Bible. Paul said this thing, Peter, we just start resist, and we fight, and it makes us tense. This is the division that's happening. And their specifically, their struggle is the law. And when we say law, when they say law, when Paul says the law, uh, we're, we're talking about the Torah, right? We're talking about the 613 laws that God gave to mankind. It's like, why did God do that? Because he's a big meanie who wants to control everyone? No. Man, anyone who's had any authority over everyone, anyone, you know that, that laws, rules, boundaries can be done because you have a power complex or they can be done because you love someone. Like, I don't just have some God complex, and so I have all this rules and authority for my dog or my kids or my son's toad. Like, that's not why we have those rules in place. We have them in place because we love them. We understand what right life is. And so God gave the law to say, hey, this is what it looks like to obey me, to love me, to have a right relationship with me. This is what it looks like for you to live in the boundaries of the brokenness that's here so that you can truly live. And they're having a tension with this. Paul does uh, something similar in Romans follow me here. When Paul says in Romans 2 verses 23, he says, you boast in the law, dishonoring God by breaking the law. For as, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So they have this tension over the law. And Paul later tells them, but he's actually quoting the Old Testament. So God's already told them, hey, the Gentiles don't see the Lord. They're not following what they should because of you. It's being dishonored. It's being profane, as Ezekiel will say. This is important. Israel was God's chosen people for the world. We're going to say that together because it's a very important thing to get locked in your brain when you read the Old Testament. I'm going to say it again, then I'm going to let you say it. Israel was God's chosen people for the world. So every part of that phrase matters. See, they were God's chosen people. He chose them. He has authority. And it was for the world so that he would have authority in all the world, that all the world would see him. They were supposed to be a mirror. They were supposed to, we talked about this when we went through priests. They were a kingdom of priests. They're the light of the world, a city on a hill. There's all these things. Israel was God's chosen people for the world. And instead, they chose to be their chosen people for themselves. 
That's what ended up happening. This is what Paul's arguing. Hey, hey, you're not, you're not doing these things so that others might see the Lord and connect with him. You're doing them for yourself. You're doing them to point back to you. This is why Jesus will say, they drew near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's quoting Isaiah again. There's this whole tension. God always intended for us to be a people. We're going to talk more about this next week. In fact, we're going to hit this hard next week. But we have this idea because of just in general humanity, but particularly the Western world, we all want to be King David. We all want to be Ezra. We are uh, um, Queen Esther. We all want to be uh, some grand champion in the Bible. We all want to be Luke Skywalker. We all want to be some awesome thing. You're not. Jesus is David. The better David. Jesus is the film on all those things. We were always called to be a people who submit and follow God because he understands the boundaries because he loved us and created us. And what happens is we want to be more. We want to be the hero. We want to be the best person. I want to be the Lord of the church. I want to be the deacon of deacons. I want to be the children's minister, children's minister. I want to be the front row captain. I want to be whatever it is. I want to be the mother of mothers. I want to be the parent of parents. And we make everything about ourselves. We isolate everyone else and then we die. Because we can't contain that glory. We can't contain that status. Israel was God's chosen people for the world, and they decided to be their chosen people for themselves. And so they profaned the name of the Lord. Instead of everything pointing to God, everything pointed to them. And they started mixing things. Say, you know what? We need a little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of Baal, a little bit of Asherah. And so because we need, we need to have sex over here so that we get our... our um, Uh, fertility, and we need to have power from this God, and and we still want to worship Yahweh because he kind of did that Egypt thing that was important to us. They mixed it all about themselves, crushed them, destroyed them over and over and over. Paul goes on to say in verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly nor circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Say matter of the heart. Matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but for, from God. He's saying, it's from God. Everything is from God. In fact, if you're a Jew, it's because, if you think you're special because you're a Jew, that's only because you're a Jew of heart. God has done that because you're submitting to him, because you're following him. It's a matter of the spirit, God's presence in you. It's a matter of the heart. So, when we look back at John 7... How did Jesus say that people should respond to him? Or when he gave up and gave a loud cry, we can pull up John 7, uh, 38, 20, yeah, 38 and 39. What did Jesus say? Uh, John 7, 38 and 39. He stood up and with a loud cry, if someone's reading it, what does it say? That's right. So whoever what? Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me. So Jesus, his desire is, this is how you respond to Jesus. You believe in him, and then what happens? Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. That's how Jesus was hoping. That's what he was calling people to. But then when we read this division, this tension, is that, is that how we see people? Does it sound like the Pharisees? Does it sound like the temple guards, does it sound like these people who are dividing and arguing? Does it sound like out of their hearts are flowing rivers of living water? I don't think so. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's what Jesus is, is imagining. And so something's being missed here. Genesis 6 tells us, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention and thoughts of his heart 
was on evil continually. Was only on evil continually. So, follow this train. Here we're going. Genesis 6, in the beginning, God says, their hearts are wicked and only focus on evil continually. That's their heart. Heart focuses on evil continually. Paul says, hey, being God's chosen people, right, that's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. So God says from the beginning, your hearts aren't evil continually. Paul later on says, hey, if you're a Jew, it was always because you were a Jew inwardly, right? You were God's chosen people at heart. And now here Jesus says, if you believe in him, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. How do we change our hearts to living water flowing from us and not confusion, division, tension, crushing religion that we see in this chapter and the wickedness and evil continuing that God has said that he sees in us. Verse 39, John whispers something over here. So reading this, this narrative in John 7, now John whispers in the reader's ear. Read this, John 7, 39. Shh, reader, come in here. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. The Spirit hadn't been given yet because Jesus was not glorified. Big question mark to the reader. What? It's confusing. Like, like, oh, hold on. Okay, I want that. Streams of living water. Our hearts are corrupt. Okay, yeah, I need to to have a change of heart. Something's important here. And then it says, no, no, no. John whispers in. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. The Holy Spirit would be received by those who believe in him. But not yet, because Jesus hadn't been glorified. John wants us to know that there's a connection between this water and spirit stuff. There's some sort of connection happening, that there's a flowing out. There's a life-giving presence here that's connected. And it's interesting that Nicodemus is mentioned here in John chapter 7. When else was Nicodemus mentioned? Come at me, winter, Missouri. John, John 3, right? John 3, Nicodemus was mentioned. Famous verses. And, and Jesus says you have to be born of what? Water and spirit, right? Remember we poured the water here and some of you were nervous that I was making a big mess, but I had the secret pad here that absorbed the water. You remember, right? You have to be born of water and spirit. Now Nicodemus is mentioned again in John 7 and Jesus is saying, hey, if you have the spirit, you'll flow with water, living water. What are we to make of this? Okay, so Nathan kind of unpacked this horse. Man, I'm so thankful for the verses he pointed out because they were some verses that I took from my notes. It's so great that, that that ended up, that God worked that out, that those were still talked about. In the Bible as a whole, particularly the Old Testament, but the Bible as a whole, the Spirit represents God's presence. Say God's presence. So when you think about the Spirit, you must think about God's presence. That's how you help understand and make sense of what's going on here. And so we think about God's presence in us, God's presence with us. And in, in the Old Testament, you see that kind of as a, as a come and go thing. They could have more of it. They could have less of it. Uh, think about um, uh, if you're at a concert, right? You can go to T. Swift's concert and you can see her from, you know, 400 yards away or however long it is because she's way over there causing the Taylor Swift uh, eruption and earthquake, whatever. And, and so... You have some of her presence there. It's very far away. Or maybe you could be like on the front row, and now you've got a a lot more Taylor Swift presence there. But maybe she comes and invites you to come meet her and her band. And now, like, you've got got a lot of Taylor Swift presence. That's a lot. That's way more Taylor Swift presence than, than I'd ever need. But there's Taylor Swift presence there. It's a different varying degree. We see that happen in the Old Testament. In fact, in Psalms 51, we get this concept because David, who's committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he's tense, he says, cast me not from your 
presence, Lord. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. What do we do with this Holy Spirit stuff? Holy Spirit's going to come up a lot in John. And every time we tease out how we're going to just really unpack all of it, and we just can't, right? And we want to be able to say some things over and over and over so we remember it, because the Holy Spirit is something that we tend to ignore, because it's a a, uh, transformative, intense thing. We tend to push it aside, or we we try, because the Holy Spirit implies that something fundamentally different has to change in us right? That we can't control, manipulate, or build like a Lego set, right? So that, that's a tension for us, especially as Westerners. Or sometimes we lean so far into it that, that we make the Holy Spirit uh, a God in itself, our perception of it. Uh, we make it this own religious thing. And so it's a difficult thing to talk about. I just want to go with what, what we've talked about before. What does Scripture say? And what are people hearing when Jesus says, your spirit will flow? John says, hey, hey, he's talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to change your heart. In, in the beginning, the Holy Spirit's mentioned, it's hovering over the waters. And we've talked about this Hebrew word a lot. It's an exciting Hebrew word. Who remembers the word for spirit in the Old Testament? Yeah. Ruach. Say it with me. Ruach. Gosh, it's such a great word. Man, it's, uh, this word changed so much of how I viewed my relationship with God. It's so helpful. So what happens is the Spirit of God, His Ruach, is hovering over the waters. And, and He's bringing order from the chaos and bringing things together. And then God creates man, Genesis 1:27. God creates man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Both male and female, He created them. So that's what God did. Now look at verse, uh, Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord formed the man... This is how you form the man. He formed the man from the dust, from the ground, and he what? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of? The breath of life. And the man became a living creature, a living spirit, a living soul. A nefesh is the word there. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, so the spirit is ruach. This is the Hebrew's understanding for the word spirit, wind, breath, What they understood, the Holy Spirit is God's animating force. Say animating force. If you've ever been in the room when someone dies, you watch something happen. And you can try to define it uh, scientifically and, and with all the doctors and all the neuroscience in the world, but you watch life leave them. I mean, just I'm looking around. I know some of you have experienced this. You just watch... Something is happening, Right? And, and the authors of the Bible, they understood that this, this, was, this was ruach. This was the animating force of life. They also saw wind that was so powerful that could unroot trees. It was ruach. God has this power, this animating force. And it makes life so meaningful when you understand the same wind that can pull trees out of the ground is the same breath that God put on his force. Ruach. You are dirt and divine breath. Say that. Dirt and divine breath. God has put his breath in your lungs. His ruach, his presence. But something went wrong. We talk about this a lot. Genesis 3, the serpent deceived us. Things happened. We said, hey, I want to live my life my way. I want to be my chosen person for myself. I don't want to be God's chosen person for God's purposes. (laughs) Like, this, this is my life. YOLO, I do what I want. It's my truth, my thing. I can say whatever I want. This is my life, my future, my family. It's all mine. You can't tell me what to do, God. I'm going to do it myself. Maybe I'll mix a little God stuff in here when I'm sad or when I want to go to Christmas or when I want to have a little bit of tradition, but ultimately it's mine. That's what evil put on us. You could be like God. You could decide good from evil. And you can hear me say that every Sunday. 
and, and as shepherds, we pray, and we repeat this over and over, that that would ripple into your life, that the Spirit would reveal to you places that you're still holding on to what you perceive as your life, your stuff, your money, your hobbies. Recognize anything good comes from the Father. Everything that, that is will be passing away except for Him, for His love, for the things He's given you. So look to Jesus. We went astray. We rebelled. Genesis 6, 5. Every inclination of their heart was on evil continually. Every intention and thought of their hearts was on evil continually. So God's chosen people for the, for the world constantly became them. And then, of course, you, you read the Bible. We did the whole thing. Abraham and, and Isaac and, and all these people rose and up, risen up. They were God's chosen people for the world. But we constantly continue to see the same patterns. No, 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 no. We need these other things going on. Sure, I worship God, but I also really need this thing in my life that's super important. And so I'm going to try to mix all these things. I'm going to take the cogs of Yahweh and God, and I'm going to figure out what I can fit into these cogs to make the clockwork of my life and my desires and my future work exactly how I want. And God said, no, I'm not a cog in your clock. I'm not, a, I'm not some toy, some tool that you use in your toolbox. I am Yahweh. I am, is who God is. And so God sent prophets. Listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet of the Lord. He sent something really interesting. As we're making sense of John whispering to us, hey, he said this about the Spirit. We make sense of this heart. Okay, we have these corrupt hearts, and God's saying that, that our hearts are corrupt and that something needs to change, but our hearts are supposed to flow. I mean, just ask yourself, would you say that your heart is a river of life to everyone around you? Let me ask you a different question. Is your social media profile a river of life to everyone around you? If I were just to go look at your Instagram, your TikTok, your Facebook, if I were to look at what you said to your work buddies, if I were to look at what, is that a river of life that flows to other people around you? So what's up? Here's what Ezekiel tells us. Ezekiel 36. Turn there because I'm going to ask you what's in the next chapter here in a minute. And if you want to get an A+, you'll be able to flip and see. Ezekiel 36. Starting in verse 23, God says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Again, God back to, hey, you think you're, you're chosen people for your life. No, you're my chosen people for my purposes. He says, I'm going to make this right. You've profaned it. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from your uncleanliness and from all your idols and I will cleanse you. We could stop there. And then we'd say, I just need that God bath. That's what I need. I need God to sprinkle water on me. And you know as well as I do, no matter how many spiritual showers you take, it's not enough. But God doesn't stop there. He keeps talking. Look in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, I'll put my spirit, my breath in you that you will walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey my rules. You've messed it up, God says. 
Your hearts are corrupt. You keep doing the wrong thing. And I've done everything to keep my covenant. I've been a faithful husband and you don't care. You live your life your way however you want. And instead of throwing you off into hell and say, goodbye, I'm good God, you're bad people, see ya. Instead, God says, no. I will give you a new heart because you need a new heart. I will put my spirit, my breath, my presence within you. Although you've pushed me out, you've pushed me aside. I will dwell in you. What's the next chapter? Ezekiel 37. Good, that's good math. 37 comes after 36. Do you know what's in Ezekiel 37? Hey, who said it? Raise your hand. You get an A plus for the day. Dry bones. That's great. So tell me that story. Sunday school people, church people, where's all our Sunday school leaders at? What happens in the Valley of the Dry Bones? Just throw out some thoughts at me. Huh? Yeah, there's what? There's a valley of dry bones, right? And, and so Ezekiel sees it. What happens? There's a cool song about it. They rattle. And what does God say? He says to what over them? To prophesy, to speak my words over them. We'll read it. It's okay. I'm sorry. You guys are trying so hard to think. You're afraid. I'm bad at asking questions because it makes you feel like you have to give the right answer. There are people who are gifted at small group leadership and stuff, but something about me, when I ask a question, people are like, oh gosh, what does he want me to say? I'm so scared. I don't mean to do that. I really, I really just want to talk. I'm sorry I'm scaring you. Rah! Okay, sorry. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not in my notes. What do I do? Okay, Ezekiel 37. This is the Valley of the Dry Bones. Thus says the Lord, Verse 5, catch this. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause you to breathe. Ruach. I will cause breath. Ruach to enter you. And you shall live. Say live. Live. I shall cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you and I will cause flesh to come on you and I will cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. God is saying you need a new heart. You need his spirit in you that you don't have a shot at living apart from him. Our hearts are corrupt. Look around. You look at our church sometimes. There are things that happen. We, we're so quick to have division, tensions. Someone says something gets us fired up. We're so quick to push aside. We got to think about us. We got to guard ourselves. Fight or flight. Scarcity mentality. Don't you dare tell me how to live my life. These things naturally come out of our hearts. All kinds of evil. It's killing us. And God doesn't say, Do better, son, daughter. Quit screwing up. God says, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put a new spirit in I'm going to put my breath in you. Let me tell you how this looks in my life. How this has rippled. A couple stories move to close. We've got a prop here in a minute. Get excited. I've got a scar on my middle finger, my left hand. I have to show it like this because sometimes when you show people your middle finger, they get the wrong impression. Um, if you know what I mean. Got to be careful with your middle finger. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? What? Ask your parents. Um, so I got this scar here. I was on a mission trip in Houston in 2007, probably. Time's relative. But I, uh, I was carrying this big thing, and uh, I'm super yoked, so it had to be the other guy's fault. No, I, I dropped it. That's what happened. It was this huge metal shelf. I dropped it, and this finger got pinned between the corner of this big, giant metal shelf and the ass or concrete, whatever it was. And I pulled my finger out really quickly, and I just... Have you ever seen someone, like, skin a squirrel? No, that's too much. Okay, so I just... Just, it was a bat. And so I did what anyone would do. Ow, ow. It, well, man, you would have thought just a geyser's coming for you. I mean, there are people standing next to me. Just, okay, too much. Anyway, sprinkled, right? So, sprinkler. So, so then a guy comes and uh, one of the guys was like, 
whatever, first aid, CPR, he grabbed, he was a nurse in training, I actually remember, uh, Chuck, Chuck Nix, anyway, he grabs my finger, holds it over my head, tells me to breathe, and I'm just like, okay, Chuck, whatever, dude, so anyway, um, my finger's messed up, this is like the second day of the trip, the rest of the 10 days, I can't use this hand, you know what I do with this hand, I play guitar, so this big thing, and I couldn't play guitar, right? I also did magic at the time. I was a touring uh, magician, uh, illusionist, sorry. Uh, so, and, so I couldn't do that either. And so I had this tension on this trip of like, who am I? If I'm not guitar Dave, don't ever call me Dave. If I'm not, that's how I talk to myself. If I'm not magic Dave, who am I? And I remember sitting in the kitchen uh, late at night on this mission trip. If you've ever been on mission trips, so if you find yourself just alone in the weirdest spots because God's like pulling you aside and speaking to you, I had a meaningful conversation with a guy that might come up another time, another sermon. But I was sitting there, and I was, I was thinking, and a song started going through my mind. It's the cheesiest thing. Uh, it's a Brad Paisley song that was popular at the time. Uh, to this day, the song will just make me cry anytime I hear it. But the song he did with Dolly Parton called, When I Get Where I'm Going. It's such a powerful idea to look for and say, when I get where I'm going, things will be made right. That's the point of the song. And, and there's a line in that song. He says, so much pain and so much darkness in this world we struggle through. All the questions I can't answer, and there's so much work to do. But when I get where I'm going, and I see my maker's face, I'll stand forever in the light of his amazing grace. And so to this day, that song chokes me up because I say that prayer so often to God. There's so much pain and darkness. There's so much work to do. What do I do? What do I do? And so I remember saying that prayer that night. I was, I was singing that song in my head, and I felt God to tell me to breathe. That's it. And this was before I knew anything about Ruach. It's 2007. This is young, stupid Dave, right? And so I didn't know anything. Now, now I know some, whatever. Anyway, so like I just was there. I just remember breathing, and I felt God tell me one day, one day every breath you breathe won't be tainted with the pain and darkness of this world. One day you will truly breathe. And that's why the more I learned about Ruach, the more it changed my life. Because one day, we'll truly breathe. And when you understand Ruach in this way, when you understand breathing, all of a sudden these things Jesus says about the Spirit starts coming to life a little bit more. See, later in my life, I learned practices through going to counselors and through struggling with different things in my life. Uh, I had, had to train my brain to do things differently because I had brokenness and, and problems in me. And, and thank God for good counselors. Amen? Amen, gosh. And uh, I had a counselor who taught me to do what's called grounding. Sit with a notebook and I just like write stuff. Just write things that are going through my mind. God, just because I got to externally process. Like, there's so much pain and darkness, so much work to do. Right? And then she taught me to breathe. And you know what's interesting about meditation? All cultures, all through history, have taught people to meditate. When you think about Eastern religions, you think about meditating so they can re receive some sort of enlightenment, so they can get to the top, right? What's interesting is that they're slowing down and breathing. Our culture never does that. We ain't got time for that. But these cultures that are slowing down and breathing, what they're thinking is that you can look at yourself and focus on your breath and be centered, and then everything will be made right. Christianity says, no, when you stop and you breathe, you recognize that there is someone else who's put breath in your lungs. There's someone else who gives you life. There's something above you. That all the pain and all the darkness in the world you struggle through, it's going to be made right because someone else who's bigger than you has put breath in your lungs. Do you meditate in this way? Do you pause in this way? Jesus tells us in John 7, 37, or 38 and 39, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. 
He said this about the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive. Ah, but it said they hadn't received it yet. Why won't they receive it yet? John tells us, because Jesus hadn't been glorified. John 13 pulls us here more when we get there and then later on in John 19. But uh, to John, Jesus being glorified is his death and resurrection. That's where Jesus is going. It's a backwards idea to the Romans, to the Western Americans. The idea of someone dying so that they could gain glory doesn't make sense to us, right? That's not how glory, because you won't get to enjoy the glory and power that you have because you're dead, right? That's the idea. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'll be glorified once I die. In the Bible, the Spirit, God's presence, comes to us because Jesus' death and resurrection. Hear this. In Mark 15, it says Jesus breathed his last, and then he died. John 19 tells us that Jesus said, just before he breathed his last breath, it is finished. Jesus breathed his last breath and died so that the next breath he breathed would give you life, would be so that you could fully breathe. Because if Jesus wasn't executed, if he wasn't resurrected, there's no celebration, there's nothing. But Jesus died and he's alive. So that because he breathes, you can actually breathe and have life, just like Ezekiel promised. I will put my breath in you, my spirit, and you will have life. How do we get the Spirit? How do we get His breath in us? Jesus says, you believe in me. You believe that Jesus is everything, His life, death, and resurrection. Say, Jesus is everything. Acts 2, 37 through 39, there's a, Peter gives all this proclamation about the gospel and how to follow uh, Jesus. And, and they, it says they were cut to heart. And they say, Peter, what do we do with all this Jesus stuff? And, and you might sit here and here, you might be watching from home or listening in weeks to come. What do I do with all this Jesus stuff? Peter will tell you. It's very quick. Verse 38. Listen. Peter said to them, repent. Change your mind. Look at the world differently. Get a new vision because your vision is wrong. That's what repent means. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God is calling to himself. This might help. It's pretty quick. Calm down. Don't laugh. This is deeply meaningful. Can't you tell? You're still laughing. Nikki hates these things. I love them. This is marriage. Why... Why do I... Have you guys seen uh, the wacky waving inflatable arm flying tube men? Can anyone do that impression off the top of my, their head? Show me a wacky way. There it is, Simon, my man. I took that out of my notes because I thought no one would do it. Nailed it. Why do we do this? Why do I put this in my front yard? Because I'm tacky and obnoxious for the same reason people have ceramic deer, right? Or whatever the deer are made of in the front. You know what I'm talking about, the fake deer? Anyway, why do we do this? Well, because when people drive by, I want them to see it and smile, have some sort of joy. 
There's something about this that is an itty-bitty gift during Christmas time for me to anyone who drives by and sees my yard, right? And it's interesting, as I thought about this, every analogy breaks down, but these are inflatables, say inflatable. They're filled with air, right? Uh, they might even be filled with some of your breath. You're exhaling and it gets all circular around. I don't know how science works, but, you know, they're filled with air. That's, that's what's happening, and, and they're bringing joy, or unless you're Nikki, you don't like them, but uh, in some way, they're doing something. And Jesus says, if you're filled with his spirit, if his spirit's in you, you will flow with rivers of life. Live rivers of life. When you believe in Jesus, he fills you with life, his Holy Spirit, and you flow to others, rivers of life. What if everyone lived like that? Just imagine, what if everyone was flowing with rivers of life because of Jesus. Not, not everyone having Christmas inflatables. I'm not here to evangelize Christmas inflatables. I'm talking about the deeper meaning. What if everyone flowed with rivers of life like Christ? Not with their crotchety negativeness, not with their opinions about their life. What if everything pointed to King Jesus and his life? His kingdom come, his will be done. He is making all things new by his spirit filled with you. God's presence we are God's chosen people for his kingdom come, his will be done. How do you respond to this? Listen, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, hear me, I'm just talking to you. Are you flowing with rivers of life because you are God's chosen people for the world? Someone, hear me, someone in your life doesn't have breath in their lungs doesn't have life. They have some adulterated, trajecting towards death and eternal separation, division, brokenness, death. That's what they have in them. You know those people. They're coming to your mind right now. Someone in your life needs to know that Jesus is life, that Jesus is everything, that he can fill their lungs, that he can fill them with their spirit, and they will truly live. Dry bones, living. Someone needs to know that. And Jesus says, if you have his spirit in you, meaning you believe, which is a Christian in this room, if you're a Christian in this room, if you're watching poems, you're listening, if you're a Christian, rivers of life should be flowing out for you. It's not your personal salvation. That's great that Jesus saved you, but he saved you for something. His kingdom come. What are you doing about that? Why aren't you taking a John book to someone? Why did you stop praying for that relative? Why aren't you talking about Jesus with other people? Is it just for you? That's not what Jesus says. He says it's a river of life. In Acts 7.51, they mention resisting the Spirit. First Thessalonians, Paul talks about quenching the Spirit. Listen, you know, maybe this is helpful for you. Maybe you're deflated. Like, maybe as you watch these things deflate up here, you're like, man, that's me, actually. Like, I'm just deflated. That's where I'm at in life. And let's be honest, like, whatever it is, the cancer came back, I can't control my kids, I'm still single, I can't get rid of this addiction, I'm just deflated. I believe in Jesus, I'm secure. I'm not talking about your salvation here. We like to believe that everything is about salvation. No, no, the Bible says you're sealed in Christ, but you can also give the devil a foothold, Ephesians 4. You can also quench the Spirit. You can also resist the Spirit. I'm not talking about your salvation, but maybe you're deflated. Maybe you're saying, man, I... I've been pushing back the Spirit. I'm not filled with His life. I wouldn't see rivers of living water coming out of me. During response time, we're going to have people standing around. Adam, Jimmy, I'll be up here. Some people will be around the wings. Go pray with them. I'm just going to be so bold to ask. Go pray with them. You don't even have to tell them everything. 
It's not about unearthing all your skeletons or cause. Just go to them and say, hey, I need someone to pray with me. Because we are God's chosen people. We're one body, together. And as you feel deflated, as you feel like the air is being sucked out of you, you don't see his breath, his spirit in your lungs. Find somebody to pray with them this morning. Because God put you here for a reason. And it's not just for you. Maybe that person needs to pray with you. Maybe it's meaningful in their life as well. You don't know. But God knows. And he put you here for a reason. This week, as you think about what it means to be filled with his spirit, for rivers of, of living water to be flowing out of you, I would encourage you to look at Galatians 6. It says that if we walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, if we walk in the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of our flesh. And we know the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Listen to me, church. If you can hear those words right now and you can say, man, I don't know if love, if joy, if peace, if patience, if kindness, I don't know if those things are coming out of me. Actually, what flows out of me is anger and bitterness and tension. Maybe you're not being filled with the Spirit. Maybe you need to sit before Jesus and say, only from you can flow rivers of life. So we have this posture. This is what we do every Sunday. What do we do with God's chosen people for the world. That's a lot of pressure. We open our hands and we look to Jesus. That's what we do with this. If you will stand, we're going to move to a time of response. There's going to be people around the sides to pray with. I'll be up here to pray with. I don't know what God's telling you to do, but I do know that the Spirit is what gives us his life, his breath, and that Jesus breathed his last. He died and resurrected so that you could truly breathe, so that you could truly have life. If you're not experiencing that life, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're deflated. Maybe you're resisting the Spirit. I don't know, but God put you here for a reason. Let's pray about it. Open your hands this morning and ask Jesus, what did you bring me here for? What are you trying to tell me? Why don't I flow with with living water? What am I missing? God wants to speak to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would guide us as we respond. Give us wisdom to look to you. Thank you for your love for us. I pray for those of us who, who, who hear and feel this message that, that you would give us boldness to respond, for, to reach out, to pray with people, to give our lives to you, to believe that you will fill us with life, with your spirit, what it truly means to live. God, may your spirit fill us, your gift of your spirit, and may we flow to other people to see your kingdom come and your will be done.